Let me get things set up here, guys. So this is actually my first time to preach with these glasses. I just went to the eye doctor for the first time to get some bifocals so, so that I can uh, read my text and, and look through my lens and see you folks. So hopefully it won't be a distraction. <clears throat> Hold on just one second. I should have uh, got a better look at this pulpit. Okay, first of all, it is an absolute honor to be with you guys. Um, I want to thank Dexter for inviting me, uh, an honor. We've, we've been wanting to come up here, but it, you know, it's a pretty good little drive from Oklahoma City, but uh, he gave us a reason to, couldn't, couldn't turn this down just to, just to come and see Dexter and meet some of you guys. Um, like I said, we've been wanting to do that, and so I'm honored to be here. Um, you know, Dexter said my, my message is, is going to, he, he told me I could preach on anything I wanted, and he, but he said the theme had to do with unity, I believe he told me back in the summer, um, or whenever he asked me to think about doing this, and so um, it's just kind of been a theme in our church to keep the main thing the main thing, and, and so I thought that maybe it could uh, be tied into this conference, that, that us as Christians, we, it's so important to keep the main thing the main thing. And, and also, on top of that, I'm, go, I'm going to be uh, speaking about open-air preaching and, and really how it falls under the main thing. And so, in, in case I forget to say this, I want to say it right off, right off the top, is that uh, this is not a message that I'm, I'm trying to convince people that open-air preaching is the only way to evangelize. Not at all. I hope this message can be an encouragement to you as a Christian in your uh, endeavors to fulfill the Great Commission, wherever God has placed you. So that's my heart um, this evening. But I do want to speak about something that is most dear to my heart. And I know that if you're a Christian, it is most dear to your heart, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that is the main thing, the fact that uh, Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And that's really the Really, the text that I'm bouncing off of is 1 Timothy 1.15. Is, um, I, I, you know, I see that as just the, that's the heart of the gospel. That's the gospel in a nutshell. It's the, it's the summation of God's redemptive purpose. And so, you know, having, having, having this fellowship that we're talking about in this conference and just really glorious, sweet, true God-honoring unity has to be centered around Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Or else, even all of the, uh, just from Don's message last night, and more that we're going to hear, um, none of that is going to even make any sense. Or if we don't have this foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It is the main thing. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This was God's predetermined plan. This wasn't, Plan B, it wasn't even plan A, it was his predetermined plan that, 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 he would, that he would be delivered over by the predetermined plan of God and nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men. This was his plan. Um, 
You know, when we think about that verse, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Again, it was really before the foundation of the world. But we see it in our Bibles beginning even in Genesis 3, 15. That Christ, Christ who is God's promised Messiah, His anointed King, that He was going to come. That Christ Jesus, right? The angel the angel told Joseph, you shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from, from their sins. Jesus, the Savior. The only Savior. Not not. One of the saviors, he is the only option. In other words, if you're going to be saved, it is going to be by Jesus Christ. He is the savior. One who not only desires to save, but who is able to save. What a great truth that is, that our God is able to save. He is able to save to the uttermost. Anybody who's sitting in here tonight, who who may not know him, he is able to save Redeeming us with His precious blood. We are redeemed with blood that is precious. The blood of Jesus Christ. This is the main thing. And and He can save us to the uttermost. Completely. Because He lives to make intercession for us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world. He didn't come into existence. No, He came into the world that He created. Christ Jesus. Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the triune God, came into the very world that John tells us in John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, the very world that He created. Christ Jesus came into the world. Who did He come into? Who welcomed Him into the world? Was it it full of righteous people? Who welcomed Him? No. he He came into a world of sinners. We must not forget this foundational truth. This is the main thing. This is why we exist as a church, um, local church, and as the church universal. God has left us in this world to proclaim this message that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. He came into a world of sinners. What does it mean to be a sinner? How does the Bible describe one who is a sinner? Somebody who is vile. Somebody who is under the curse of God. We're under the curse of the law because of our sin. Somebody who is hell-bound. This is what it means to be a sinner. Somebody whose heart is black. We have black hearts outside of Christ. Dark hearts. Wicked hearts. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. This is the condition of of the sinner. This is who he came to save. Those who are blind. And and I'm reminding us as the people of God who we once were. We were dead in our sins. We were blind. And we must keep that healthy foundation of remembering who we are without Christ. That's what it means to be a sinner. Dead in our sins. The Bible describes sinners as being in shackles, in chains, enslaved to their sin. Unable to do anything about it. Unable, unwilling. This is the description of the sinner. Haters of God. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not just to be a good example, to save. The word save means to deliver. To rescue. I love the word rescue in the NAS. 
in Galatians 1 4. That the that 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 Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. That's why he came. But we can never lose sight of that. This is the main thing. He came to rescue us, to deliver us from the penalty of sin. What does it mean to be saved by Christ? You're delivered from the penalty of sin. We have to understand that our sin deserves an eternal hell. An eternal hell paying for our sin, that that we would pay for it for all eternity and never pay it off. Um, That's what he came to save us from. He came to save us from the, the power of sin. Praise God. That he sets those free, even in this life, from the power of sin. He can remove the shackles of your sin. If you do not know Jesus Christ, oh, I would plead with you, before I even get into my message, that you would recognize that the Bible describes sinners in this way, that we are doomed, that we are dead, that we need life, and that only Christ can give you that life. That there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, the one who lived the perfect life in our place, the one who bore the, the wrath of God upon the cross. He was crushed under the wrath of God that you and I deserve. He was placed in the tomb, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Which is really, that's, that's, the, that's the best news. Not just that he died, but that he rose again for our justification. And he sits at the right hand of the Father right now, and he commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I would just plead with you. To call upon his name, even tonight, right where you sit, call upon the name of Jesus Christ, and he is mighty to save. But this is what we rally around, church, this truth here that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the truth that we rally around as the people of God. This is the truth that I hope you rally around. This is the truth that I hope you as a Christian get excited about. There's no outgrowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the gospel bores you, I would challenge you to examine your heart. Now, this is, this is, what, this is what God has left us in the world for, is to uh, proclaim this message. This is what we want to unify around. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, sure, there's other important things, obviously. But we must not ever make this a secondary issue. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we make our mission. This is what we should make our mission. As a Christian, this is why I hope that you would cause you to get up in the morning and, and, and to realize that God has you on mission. If you're a stay-at-home mom, your, your mission is at home, teaching your children, uh, loving your husband. Husbands, love your wives. This is our mission to make the gospel known, to make Christ known to this world, to make Christ known to the nations. Wherever God, this, this, is, this, is, what, this is what should guide all that we do, this foundational truth. Okay, and I'm afraid, really to my point here, make, of keeping this the main thing, I, I'm afraid because I've seen it, and I know I've been guilty of it in my own life, but I think many miss this, keeping this the main thing. They, they bring in, um, you know, sometimes I don't even like using the word reformed in front of our church because of some of the people that attracts, and, and, and I don't mean to be insulting, but there's many people, they want to bring in their, their favorite pet doctrines. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of doctrines. Obviously, that's important. We want to be doctrinally sound. But so many people, they want to make things like eschatology. Eschatology is very important. The Bible has a lot to say about it. 
but it's not the main thing. And you could go on and on and on. Whatever English translation of the Bible you prefer, praise God and amen. But that's not the main thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the main thing. Everything else falls under this. And so to have this unity that we're talking about as a church, and uh, we have to keep this the main thing. Or else, uh, I've seen it in our church, seen it in other churches. It's so easy to have discord and disunity and, and divisiveness when we start replacing the main thing with secondary or even lower than that level doctrines or preferences. So the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The main mission of the church is Christ's great commission. And so what I want to speak to you about tonight, and, and the reason I chose this, and, and this, again, open-air preaching, I want, to, I want to speak to you about evangelism. It falls, open-air preaching falls under the main thing. Please don't think that I'm saying open-air preaching is the main thing. No, it falls under the umbrella of the great commission that Christ has given us. But I wanted to speak about this topic specifically uh, because your church has been very generous to our church, brother, and I'm still very humbled and really scratch my head sometimes. Uh, but, but I'm very thankful that you guys have been generous to us and sending us um, some generous gifts uh, that we could, uh, that we invest in in, in, our, in our ministry. And so I want to encourage you guys tonight that I, I'm going to share stories as a way of encouragement, and, and I want it to be an encouragement to you guys that, that you're part of it, that, that, that God, because in open-air preaching, you don't see a lot of visible results all the time, or much of the time, but, um, but we do hear of, uh, of God at work and, um, and I just wanted this to be an encouragement to you and, and an encouragement to keep, to keep the main thing, the main thing in your mind. Christ has called us to take this gospel into the world. And that's why that, that is our main mission as a church. And so I want to speak to you uh, in the rest of the message about open air preaching. Open air preaching, I think, is highly misunderstood by many. Uh, there's many who have, a, who have maybe preconceived ideas of what it is because of maybe somebody they've seen or heard about on the, on the streets, and it can be done in a very, very wrong way, incorrect way, a heretical way, a hateful way, a, a shameful way. And so I want to I try to encourage you with what the Bible says about it, uh, real briefly looking at some Old Testament history, some New Testament history, uh, going down through church history. I'll try to be brief, and then, and then bring it all down to practicality of why we should do it, uh, not everybody, that's not what I'm saying, but why it should be supported when it's done biblically, and, and, and then just some encouragement that I've, that I've gained over the years, uh, some benefits I've seen. So hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you. And so I'm not arguing that it's the only way to evangelize, but I am arguing that, that it is biblical, that God has used it in the past, and that he still does, and that God blesses it. And so what about Old Testament history, guys? I'm gonna, we're going to try to move this through it rather quickly for sake of time, but I'm going to let Charles Spurgeon uh, just kind of briefly give us a description of, um, of some Old Testament history of open-air preaching. And this message is different than what I usually do. You know, usually I'm going through a text verse, uh, verse by verse. So this is a little bit different, but we will turn to some scriptures here after we look at some history. But Spurgeon says this <clears throat> about the Old Testament. He said, Now it can be argued 
with small fear of refutation that open-air preaching is as old as preaching itself. We are at full liberty to believe that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, when he prophesied, asked for no better pulpit than the hillside, and that Noah, as a preacher of righteousness, was willing to reason with his contemporaries in the shipyard wherein his marvelous ark was built. I do want to pause there just for a second and just remind you guys that, that Noah preached for 120 years, warning his generation, okay? And this is a, this is a theme that I'm gonna, going to come back to uh, fairly often in this message is that the majority of the time, the way I see open-air preaching in the Bible, down through history and have practiced it, is that you're most of the time, I would say almost all the time, you're preaching as an uninvited guest. You're taking the gospel into the world because of the command of Jesus Christ, and most of the time you're not invited at the place where you're preaching. Uh, Noah certainly would not have been invited. We know Noah was certainly mocked and opposed. But he goes on to say, certainly Moses and Joshua found their most convenient place for addressing vast assemblies beneath the unpillared arch of heaven. Samuel closed the sermon in the field at Gilgal amidst thunder and rain by which the Lord rebuked the people and drove them to their knees. Elijah stood on Carmel and challenged the indecisive nation. With how long halt ye between two opinions? Jonah, whose spirit was somewhat similar, lifted up his cry of warning in the streets of Nineveh and, uh, and all her places of concourse. He gave, the forth, gave forth the warning utterance, yet forty days in Nineveh, shall be overthrown. You know, the fascinating thing about Jonah is we know his heart wasn't even right. He didn't even like the people he was preaching to, which is just a beautiful picture of God's mercy, really, to a city. But, but to hear Ezra and Nehemiah, all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And Spurgeon finishes by saying, Indeed, we find examples of open-air preaching everywhere around us in the records of the Old Testament which I think those are just some obvious examples of open-air preaching. You know, preaching outdoors in the open air. Uh, but I wanted to add one to, uh, to the Old Testament that, that uh, Spurgeon didn't mention, and that's an obvious one, is Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as some of you guys may know, he preached for 40 years to the southern kingdom of Judah. Again, he, as an uninvited guest, uh, really without any visible results. He was known as the, the weeping prophet. He loved his people. Those who were an invited guest, I guess you could say in many ways, were the false prophets who were preaching peace, peace, when there is no peace. And, and, and the faithful Jeremiah preaching judgment to come for their idolatry, preaching repentance. The Lord commanded him to preach. And in, in, in Jeremiah 7, you can read even even standing out the very gates of the temple, warning apostate Israel and Judah to, to, to turn from their idolatry. That's the heart of an open-air preacher, is regardless of the, of, the, uh, of the response, being faithful to the Lord, uh, both warning and, 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 and a plea to, to turn and get right with God. What about New Testament history? Obviously, our Lord's forerunner, John the Baptist, we read lifting up his voice along the riverbank, right? His message, repent, repent, bear fruits in keeping with repentance to the common people. Uh, he would see the religious leaders come in of his day, and he had a warm, loving, welcoming message to them. Now, he would say, repent, you brood of vipers, 
you seeds of the serpent, was his message to them. Christ himself did much preaching on the mountainside, along the seashore, and in the streets. Again, we're just, we're just skimming over some biblical history real quickly. Paul preached in the synagogues to the Jews, but also in the marketplaces and other areas which sometimes led to riots. In Acts 8.4, after uh, the stoning of Stephen, we see the disciples, it says they went about preaching the word to proclaim or to announce good tidings. They went about proclaiming the word. And again, many places they went, they were not invited, but they were obedient to the Lord to go and to proclaim the message. What about church history, guys? In the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages, which is roughly the 5th through the 16th century, um, although that we know the church in large part during that time was in, was in decline. That's why it's called the Dark Ages. Uh, Roman Catholicism, the false doctrines of Roman Catholicism, it really, in many ways, buried the gospel. It was, it, not that it was non-existent, but some of God's best preachers during that time were open-air preachers. There was a man by the name of Arnold of Brescia in the 12th century, very similar to Jeremiah, who would stand at the very gates of the Vatican and denounce their Antichrist doctrine out of love for his Roman Catholic friends and warnings. And, and, and just to make clear, guys, that Roman Catholicism, it is Antichrist doctrine. It damns souls to hell. It's a false gospel that cannot save. But he was faithful to his Lord, obviously an uninvited guest, and was later hanged for treason. And that reminds me, there's a... Uh, some kind of new Roman Catholic cathedral being built in South Oklahoma City, right off I-35. Uh, a very, very, very huge building it's going to be. So I don't know exactly, you know, what level it ranks in, as far as the Roman Catholic sites, but we're already looking at, as a church, really, really looking at a place we could go and stand and, and minister to our Roman Catholic neighbors. So, because it's a false gospel, it doesn't save Late in the 14th and into the middle of the 15th century, God used the disciples of John Wycliffe, known as the Lollards, who went about in England uh, quite often in couples or in pairs. And, and what would they do? They would look for crowds. Many times they would get kicked out of, out of ever preaching in churches because there were false doctrine being preached in the churches. And they, didn't, they didn't tolerate the sound, true biblical gospel being preached. So these Lollards would go and they would go to where they could find a crowd of people, which that is the heart of an open-air preacher, is to go where the people are and to proclaim the good news. It's really that simple. Why do you come here, they ask us? Because you have a pulse, because you're alive, because you're breathing, because you need Jesus Christ. And so that's what these law lords would do. They would go to, they would go to the fairs. They would go to the marketplaces, anywhere they could gain a hearing. Uh, you know, again, they were banished in churches many times. So they, okay, you're not going to let us preach in the churches. Fine, we'll go and find our own pulpit. We'll go to where the people are. That, that was the heart. That is the heart of a, of a true God-sent, God-called open-air preacher. Spurgeon commented on that. <clears throat> he said the common people would hear them gladly. You know, that reminds me of the place that that I do most of my preaching, that, do, that we do most of our preaching as a church, and that is at the bus station in downtown Oklahoma City. That, that statement that Spurgeon made just really reminds me of that place, of, of where that's how I see these people. I work for FedEx, and I've worked for them for over 20 years, and 
And so um, started preaching on the streets in 2009 at a certain part in downtown Oklahoma City. And, and so one day I was delivering downtown and I just came across this huge bus station that I never knew was even there. Literally like a square block and people just sit out. There's people everywhere. And so when I started going, I realized that this place is different. This is more of the common people and they actually listen. They actually sit and listen. We, we set up a table and put Bibles on the table and booklets and tracts. And, and over, over the last eight years, we've went through over 2,500 Bibles. And that's the people coming and getting them on their own. We've never handed one out. And that just doesn't place, that just doesn't happen even a half mile down the road. We preached in an area for five years and probably gave away ten Bibles. There, there's just something about this place where, where it's the common people, it's more of the, the poor people. Life has humbled them. Not, not saying they're all Christian, but they have a respect for the Word of God. And so I see it as an open door where we go and we take the gospel and all kinds of resources are taken from our table and, and they go, it goes into people's homes. And, and so, but that's what that statement reminded me of. The, the common people heard them gladly. And so the proclamation of the gospel, guys, was the Lollards and, and really any, any true biblical open-air preacher that understands sound doctrine. It's the proclamation of the gospel that's primary the place is really secondary. Whether it's inside four walls or whether it's out in front of a stadium where there's crowds going to a ball game or at a bus station, the geography, geographical location is irrelevant. It's are there people there? That's the heart of it. In the 16th century, at the time of the Reformation, stories of Lutheran preachers walking through the country <clears throat> proclaiming the gospel of grace to crowds in the marketplaces, burial grounds, on mountains and in meadows. I just, I just picture that, them walking. Just walking and, 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 and proclaiming. Anybody who had ears to hear, we have a message for you. And you know, that I, I've done that kind of thing. Usually we set up and preach, but I, just that kind of language reminded me of one time uh, whenever I was down in San Antonio with uh, Pastor Kyle and some other guys for the Final Four a few years ago, and of course, there's thousands of people in San Antonio, and so there's so many people on the streets, we're literally just walking with our little amps, and we're just proclaiming the gospel as we're walking, just surrounded by people, but that's what, that's what these men would do, they would, they would go to where the people are, because they understood that the gospel, the main thing, is the power of God unto salvation, and these people need to hear it. Spurgeon rightly said, where would the Reformation have been if its great preachers had confined themselves to churches and cathedrals? And you know, I often think that, not that I think, I don't believe every man's called to be an open-air preacher. Not by, you know, I don't, I don't think that. But I, do, but I do question sometimes that some of our great preachers, men who can preach much better than me and much better than most, I, I wish they would take that that powerful preaching to people who need to hear it more often. Um, that's just kind of how I think at times. I wish they would. Um, he said, Spurgeon says, how would the common people have been informed of the gospel had it not been for those wandering evangelists and those daring innovators who found a pulpit on every heap of stones? I love that language. 
They found a pulpit on every heap of stones in an audience chamber in every open space near the abodes of men. And you know, it's like once God has called you to open your preach and you've had the privilege of doing it, you look for a pulpit. You, you, you're driving through town. You're, oh, there's a good pulpit. That sidewalk there looks like a very good pulpit. You know why? But look at the people that are gathering around there. And so I understand that language um, of just finding a pulpit, an open-air preacher, um, you know. Like, and many of these guys, I, I remember uh, John Wesley saying that as well. You know, they kicked me out of the churches. Okay, well, I'll go in the fields. I'll go to where the people are and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. An individual by the name of George Wishart of Scotland, who was a mentor of John Knox and a great, a great reformer and an open-air preacher who was, who was martyred at one point, said this, really just making the same point that we, that we made well ago. Um, he, but he said, Jesus Christ is as mighty to save in the fields as he is in the church. And that's been my argument for so many years for people who, for whatever reason, want to oppose the gospel being preached outdoors. Does, does four walls and a roof somehow make the gospel more powerful? I don't think so. No, it's powerful anywhere you preach it. So we're to go preach it. But he says, Jesus Christ is as mighty to save in the fields as in the church. And he himself, speaking of Christ, while he lived in the flesh, preached more often in the desert and upon the seaside than in the temple of Jerusalem. End of quote. And of course, there were Puritans who preached in the open air in the 17th century. And in the 18th century, a guy that most of us have probably heard of a great deal, uh, God used the outdoor preaching of George Whitfield and many others to bring the first great awakening to England and to the North American colonies. This is just, we're just really getting a, just a brush over history, how God has used this. Other men that he used to bring revival to England in the 18th century, um, in a book that I'll mention here in just a second, John Wesley, William Grimshaw, William Romaine, Daniel Rowland, John Barrage, Henry Venn, Samuel Walker, James Harvey, Hal Harris, and John Fletcher. With most, if not all these men, practicing outdoor preaching at one point or another in their ministries. And so there's a book that I read that uh, spoke about all these men. It's an excellent book if you want to get some good history and encouragement on how God has used outdoor preaching. A book by, written by J.C. Ryle, Christian Leaders of the Last Century. So he wrote that in the 19th century about these men who were a century before him and how God used all of these men, and a large part of it was outdoor preaching to transform England. Really, if you study church history, many of the revivals that God has brought usually was always accompanied by outdoor preaching, of really God stirring men's hearts to take the gospel to the people. The simple commands of Jesus Christ to go into the world and proclaim the gospel. Again, open-air preaching is its not the way, but it is a way to accomplish that. And then one other individual in the 18th century, Jonathan Goforth. I just read about him about a month ago, read his biography. Uh, he was a um, late 18th century, early 19th century, a missionary from, from Canada who went to China. And a large part of his ministry was open-air preaching. His first converts in China was through open-air preaching. So these are just a few, and then, and then lastly, as far as history goes, in the 19th century, men like Charles Spurgeon himself, the Prince of Preachers, he was an open-air preacher. He preached in the streets of London. 
Um, a story real quickly that, that I remember Spurgeon telling was a guy in his church was open-air preaching in, in, in the streets of London, a cold, dreary day. He said, and you know, the way Spurgeon says it, he said, there wasn't a soul out in the streets, maybe a stray dog or a cat. So many people would have thought this brother was wasting his time. But there was a, there was a lady up in the apartment, and uh, the lady is the one who told us, told her, this was a testimony. And she could hear this man preaching, and she didn't like it at all. She didn't like the message. So she tried to do everything she can, she could to, 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 to not hear this to the point of trying to cover her ears up with blankets, but she could not escape it. And God converted her in her apartment through that message that she didn't want to hear. Just a small example. You know, there's some apartments down by the bus station, high-rising apartments, just catty corner across the block. And I've had people over the years come down and complain and say, I can hear you up there. And I just say, praise God, you can hear me up there. Now, now I have, because I don't want to be, I don't want to be rude, um, I have kind of asked just to, so, so when you're in your apartment, can you hear me? They're like, no. But if I'm out on my little patio, I can. I say, well, praise God, that's great, because <laughs> that's what we want. But, uh, and then one last guy in the 19th century, really one of my heroes that I, that I read about, uh, read his biography, and then he was also, he was, a, he was one of the leaders of the open-air mission of London. His name is Gowan Kirkham. He would preach, <laughs> he would preach at public executions of condemned criminals where tens of thousands of people would gather. Open-air preachers, they look for the crowds. Now, can you imagine a more captive audience? It has been appointed for a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Here's my illustration. <laughs> this man fixing to be executed. But that's what drove these men uh, to go places. You know, that's kind of like preaching at a funeral. I've had to, if you want to call it an opportunity, but, you know, a gospel opportunity to, to preach uh, several funerals. And, and, and I tell you what, that's a great opportunity. Because it's on men and women's minds, you know, uh, the, the reality of death. And, um, and so that's just what you see with these open-air preachers, guys. There's so many more men we could look at, uh, that we could go in depth and, and read these stories. And, and so, so really, that's my first three points is just Old Testament history, New Testament history, church history. Fourthly, instead of asking the question, because we see it's biblical, it's historical, God has used it. God has blessed it. So instead of asking why do it, I ask the question, why not? Why not? You know, maybe you are here tonight, and maybe through this message, God would stir your heart to go stand and speak with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at the very least, I hope that you would be encouraged to support those who do. So why not do it? Now let's look at some scriptures, okay? Um, turn to Romans chapter 10. And again, this is not a normal type of message that I would preach, really be in one text and, and go through the, the text, but we're going to, we're going to, we're just going to gain a very simple train of thought here, guys, um, and look at what the scriptures say. I think Romans 10 is like a uh, apologetic on evangelism and missions, and so Romans 10, we're just going to look at verses 13 through 17, we're not going to stay there long, and we're going to bounce of that, <clears throat> bounce off of that, excuse me. And then go down a little uh, trail of some scriptures here just to, to bring a few points home to help you understand really really the, the, uh, the, the logic behind it, the very simple logic of open-air preaching, evangelism really in general. So Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13 through verse 17. 
For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Just pause there for just a second. Is that complicated to hear or to understand? How will they hear without a preacher? I'm a very simple guy. I like simple truths. That is a very simple truth. How will they hear without a preacher? Let's go on. Verse 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We're going to come back to that verse in just a moment, guys. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Again, that's very simple to understand. They have to hear the word of Christ. And so we'll come back to that in just a moment. But Matthew one twenty one, I referenced that earlier. The angel told Joseph, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's a promise, right? That Christ will save his people from their sin. And the scripture says, just really how we're saved, that we're not saved by works. Amen? We're not saved by works of the law, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Very clear. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so we understand that, that we're saved by grace through faith. But the next question we have to ask in this train of thought is, but by what means are we saved by grace through faith? The verse we just read in Romans 10, verse 17. Faith, the very, the very agent that, we're, that God grants us as a gift that we're saved by, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you see the connection here? Yes, we're saved by grace through faith, but that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And how will they hear this word of Christ without a preacher? Is that simple? Amen? You understand? <laughs> there has to be a message communicated. Obviously, we know that that message could come through the written word, right? Just picking up a Bible. I just shared a story earlier. A good friend of mine was saved by reading a Gideon's Bible. But they have to be confronted with the message. And God's primary means is through the preaching of the word of God. How will they hear this word of Christ without a preacher? Very simple, they have to hear His Word. And so the true, God-called, doctrinally sound, open-air preacher understands this very simple point. When somebody wants to come up and argue that, yeah, this is the wrong way, God doesn't do this, I take them to these very foundational truths. Then you explain to me how that person's going to be saved if, they're, if, if the gospel's not proclaimed to them. How are you doing it, I like asking. Usually they're not in any way, shape, or form. They, people have to hear the gospel. Very simple. We'll, we'll look at that train of thought again from a different angle. John 3, 3. Very famous verse that we all love. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right? Amen. Amen. But by what means 
Is anybody born again? You know, the Bible tells us. In 1 Peter 1.23, Peter tells his readers, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. Beloved, people have to hear the Gospel to be saved. It's that simple. It's really that simple. You and I have been commanded as the people of God to proclaim the Gospel to this world. That's the main mission of the church. The main thing is Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. But He has a means of accomplishing that. And you and I are the means. You and I are the means. Every single one of us. If you name the name of Christ, you are part of the means that God, in His purpose of redemption, has set up to take this gospel to the world. Just like somebody told us. So it's really that simple. Whether you're talking about open-air preaching, that just happens to be my subject tonight. Or whether you're talking about just defending the fact that you have been called to open your mouth and share the gospel with your neighbor, with those around you, in your sphere. We can't escape it. It's in the Word. And it's a joy, beloved. It's a joy. There's no greater joy that I know of than to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. To tell somebody how you can escape hell and 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 to have the god of heaven use such a wretch such a wretch who stumbles over himself like me and i know like like many of you he uses simple people who are just who just want to be faithful and obedient he uses us that's my that's my that's my hope for you from this message is that you're encouraged to just be faithful to just be faithful to open your mouth you know, and if it's and if you just if you just feel like that you're just going to stumble all over your place, get a get a good gospel track and and then love offer it to people. God saved me through a track in 1997. That's how He saved me. It wasn't the only means, but that's how that's what that's where He showed me what it means to repent was through a written gospel track. And so we've been commanded to proclaim this gospel to the world. Why? Because Jesus will save His people. Who are His people? Those whom the Father gave Him before the world began that you can read about in John 17. If you ever wonder who His people are. Those whom He died for, His sheep. He laid down His life for His sheep in John 10. But how is He going to do it? How is He going to save His people? Through the message of His Gospel. I am not ashamed of the Gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For all who believe the Word of Christ that we are responsible to communicate, beloved. You and I, we're responsible. We're we're God's agent. We're it. We have the best news in the whole world, in the whole universe. And we're we're told to proclaim it from the housetops. And again, that can be through through one-on-one evangelism. I encourage any type of evangelism where you open your mouth, sitting across the table with somebody over a cup of coffee. If your kids do not know Christ, communicating to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. If your spouse is an unbeliever, communicating the gospel to them. Um, I mean, you can go on and on. I'm, I'm for relationship evangelism, non-relationship evangelism. People need Christ. And so the heart of the open-air preacher is 
Why not take it to the masses? If all of these things are true, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, and how are they going to hear without a preacher, and it's the gospel that's the power of God, then why not take it to more than just one person? Why not take it to a group of people? Maybe a big group of people. And, 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 and don't ever, because I might not remember to say this, but I don't, I don't ever want to, uh, you know, if you ever start open-air preaching or if you do open-air preach, I don't want to sound like that you need to idolize the size of the crowd. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But, the, but we do. We want to strategize and try to go where people are. I mean, I live out in the country. I'm not going to go open there and preach on my front porch because it's just deer and squirrels. No, we want to use strategy. We want to go where the people are, but at the same time, remembering the story that Spurgeon told us that, you know what, it may look like it's a waste of time to the human eye, but God may just have one of his sheep up in an apartment building to hear the gospel is converted, and you never know about it. We're just to be faithful. And so why do this, guys? Why do all this? And really the heart of, of Reformed theology is because we know that no one seeks for God. They're not seeking for God. And so we have to take the gospel to them. I think it was D.L. Moody that once said that, you know, every time a gospel tract is given to somebody, it's the Son of God seeking, going out and seeking the lost. And so we, we understand that. No one seeks for God. They're dead in their sins. And it's only through the, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God raises the dead and gives us life, opens our eyes. And we go from loving our sin and, 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 and hating God, whether people even realize that or not. They, they all of a sudden realize when their eyes have been opened that I love this Christ that I used to mock. And so it, it, we have, we've been given the marching orders. Go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim his message and he will save his people, guys. That's a promise that we have. That's what really what, what should motivate all of us in, in our any type of evangelism is that Jesus Christ will, not might, he will save his people. And you may hear about it, you may not. But my, my encouragement to you is just be faithful. Just be faithful. God may not be calling you to open your preach. That's not, again, that's not my message here. But God is calling you to be a witness for him. And he's equipped you. He's given you his Holy Spirit. If you're saved, then you understand enough of the gospel to communicate it with somebody. And if you're communicating it with somebody and they profess they're a Christian, but maybe you're detecting that maybe they're not, ask them to explain the gospel to you. If they can't do that, guys, and they're not a Christian. So just be faithful, guys. Speaking of faithful, a guy by the name of Robert Flockhart of Edinburgh in Scotland in the 18th century. Beloved, every evening, okay? Every evening, regardless of weather, of the weather, of the conditions, regardless of persecutions, this man preached in the street for 43 years. Think about that. 43 years. What would drive a man to do this? So I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of guys over the years come and go as far as this type of ministry. Uh, in it for self-glory, maybe, or attention. I don't know. But a lot of them, they just kind of fade away. What would, what would cause a man to stand faithfully through persecution, 
through bad weather for 43 years. He said, not long before he died, he said this, compassion for the souls of men drove me. And beloved, I think that along with, along with the love of Christ, he says, constrain me. That is, that is what's going to make a man endure. You face so much opposition in, in proclaiming the gospel. Whether it just be through persecution, whether you're dealing with the law and opposition to try to shut you down. You're never welcome in a place, hardly ever. But it's the love of souls that drove this man for 43 years. The love of souls, beloved, is what is going to drive you and me to continue to be faithful to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we understand that, that men and women without Jesus Christ, just like you and I, at one point are headed for an eternal hell. Without Christ, that should break our hearts. He said, compassion for the souls of men drove me to persuade them to come to Jesus. We persuade. Shiloh says this. I love it. You know, God's not begging you. God doesn't need you. But I'm begging you. You know, and in a sense, God is begging us through, begging through us. He's imploring men and women to come to his son to be reconciled. But we need to beg people. We beg them. I don't want you to go to hell. Why do you come here to preach to us? Is the question always, everywhere we go. And I think they say that because they understand the, whether they realize or not, they understand the offense of the cross. They understand that by us standing there and preaching that you're saying something is wrong with me. And the, and the proud man does not like that. And indeed we are. We're saying you're a sinner under the judgment of God if you do not know Christ and you need to come to this Christ. I don't want you to die in your sins. That's what, that's what drove this man. That's what, that's what will drive any faithful man or woman of God. When you read the, when you read the biography, biographies of some of these missionaries and, and some of these men and women who have gone before us and, and they're just willing to suffer so much. And even now we know men and women suffer so much. It's the love of souls. It's the love of Christ. This, beloved, is the main thing. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What does he say? Go into the streets. Go into the lanes. Go into the highways. Go into the hedges. And compel them to come. You know, I look at that, that verse. As the context is, okay, Israel's not going to listen to you. Go to the Gentiles. And you know, I, I've... Um, you know, I could just make that, that context. We could all make that context. Okay, so you've, so you've witnessed to your family. You've pleaded with them to come. You've witnessed to your, your small sphere of influence. If they're not going to listen, then go to the streets. Don't, just because certain people don't listen, beloved, don't stop. God has his sheep out there. And God's going to save them. But what a privilege to be used by God by just being obedient to him. That he will use just unworthy people like us. And so lastly, guys, lastly, I want to look at some benefits real briefly, okay? And so towards the end, when I close, I'm going to close with a few stories. And I just want to say this right off the top. That I hope you understand that the last thing I want is self-glory. As I share a few of these stories, these stories are very, very encouraging. One in particular, very encouraging. It's like a gift from the Lord to me. And so I want to share that with you. Specifically, 
you guys who have blessed our church and helped us buy Bibles, help us buy tracts. But I want to look at a few benefits. And then we'll close with that last benefit and close with a few stories. Some benefits of open-air preaching that I've just personally experienced that I believe are biblical and I've learned it experientially. First, open-air preaching. And, and by the way, you could, we could think of a lot more benefits, but these are just some that I thought of. It teaches us to trust God. Open-air preaching, and I would say evangelism in general. If you want to be faithful and, and really take evangelism serious and be used by God, you're, it's going to teach you to trust God. You're going to realize how much you don't know when you start opening your mouth to Christ and you hear questions and objections. It's going to drive you to the Word of God. It drives me to the Word of God almost like nothing else. I think probably other than pastoring and preparing, but just driving you to the Word of God because if somebody's really serious about being a witness for Christ, we want to be accurate when we handle the Word of God, right? Not ashamed. We want to be accurate. It drives us to the Word of God. We may be asked a question that we don't know. We go to the Word of God. We want to be prepared for the next time. It drives us to the Word of God to memorize Scripture. I don't want to be out there. It's different than pulpit preaching. And so a lot of the preaching, you're not... Sometimes, now, sometimes you are reading through the Scripture, but, but when I'm not, I want to have Scripture in my mind and in my heart. I don't want to be out there just telling stories. The power is in the Word of God, not my clever stories. So it drives us to the Word of God in so many ways. It drives us to prayer. Again, all of this under trusting God. Oh, it drives us to prayer. I know that when we go out to preach, that there's got to be a move of the Spirit of God. There's got to be a convicting work of the Spirit of God as His Word is proclaimed. God's got to show up. Anytime His Word is preached, it drives us to prayer for unction, uh, for the anointing of the Spirit. It drives us to pray for the lost. God, you have to open their eyes. They're dead. And I'm just the messenger. And, 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 and so we beg God <coughs> for unction. We beg God for wisdom. We beg God for discernment. We beg God to help us to be gracious in our speech. All of these things. It, it teaches us to trust God. Uh, secondly, it is, a, it is a flesh killer. Open air preaching is a flesh killer. Killer. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, typically when I go out to preach, I mean, I may be excited about it for a while, but usually when I'm getting ready to go, I would just much rather stay home. When it comes down to it, I was like, I, I'd just rather stay home. I'm very comfortable here in my recliner. My wife likes me because I know that, especially going to a new place, there's, there's just that much more anxiety. But I know that even at the bus station, where a lot of people, they are thankful that I come, but as a majority, majority of those people don't want me there. And so you know you're fixing to open your mouth, and, and here in a minute, these people are not going to like me anymore. And so, but it's a flesh killer. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow him. And so this is just a real practical way to practice that. I, was, I went to the bus station yesterday, and just through uh, some circumstance, Ended up being out there by myself, which I did it by myself for years, but praise God, hardly am ever by myself anymore. And, um, but, it, but it's even harder then. When you're going, I'm like, man, I just want to turn around and go home. 
and you know it's cold out here and, and but but again God is so faithful every time you may have those thoughts and can I encourage you in that those those thoughts are true even if you're going to sit down with one person and share the gospel you guys know the you guys know the doubts that are going through your mind and it's the enemy the last thing he wants is us to open our mouth for the gospel of Jesus Christ can I encourage you to go ahead and open your mouth because I've never regretted it, and I know you haven't either. You sit down with somebody and share the good news of how Jesus can save them. I've never known a Christian to walk away and say, I wish I had not done that. Now, yeah, we may say, man, I need to, I need to get in the Word, and, and, you know, but, uh, and, and so you know, learn the Word of God better, those type of things. But don't listen to the lies of the devil. Just open your mouth and let God use you, okay? Share the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have a mental blank, I heard this from Ray Comfort years ago. He said, if you just your mind just freezes, then just remember John 3.16. And that'll usually get you right back on track. And so thirdly, another benefit, practical benefit, we can learn how to respond to people when we are reviled. Again, there you can learn these things in other areas of the Christian life. I'm just saying these are things that I have learned that God has sanctified me as a Christian and as a preacher. Through open air preaching, many times you're reviled for open air when you're preaching the gospel on the streets. Many times you're reviled. You're called names that can't be repeated in here, um, and so you're you're, you're uh, many times just misunderstood, falsely accused, called all kinds of names. Christ. I think what bothers me the most is when Christ is blasphemed, and so it's real tempting to be in the flesh and revile right back. And I've done that. I've had to fail. My good friend Ronnie has seen me fail. And I've had to apologize to him. And of just getting caught up in the flesh and, and reviling right back to somebody when they revile me. And so God sanctifies us. We learn. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, Peter says this, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He's our example. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. If we know if there's one person in history that's, that was reviled who did not deserve it, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so many times, yeah, we may be reviled for simply being faithful with the gospel, but many times we may be reviled for being a jerk. Jerks for Jesus. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. And so I would say that. So if you, if you find yourself wanting to revile, wanting to... Return insult for insult. Please repent. Please repent of that. So God sanctifies us in those areas. Fourthly, another benefit, it encourages other Christians. Open air preaching encourages other Christians. I mean Christians that we meet out there. Um, I cannot even count how many times that's happened. Meet, meeting other Christians and, and seeing them being encouraged. Seeing God use us to spur them on. So I got two quick examples. My, my, my wife came up with a phrase years ago when people would ask about, because many times my wife will go out with me. And she said, yeah. And, and we'd take our kids when they were young and, and uh, hand out tracts. And our, our youngest boy, uh, when we started preaching, he was about two years old, two or three. But he would hand tracts out. He just couldn't understand why, why people wouldn't take tracts. But... Uh, but my wife, she, she came up with this phrase years ago. She said, we're either planting seeds or lighting fires. 
lighting fires within other Christians. And so we've, we've just seen it countless times. I mean, just countless stories. But, but two, real quickly, there was a guy at the bus station the first six months, went there in 2015. His name was Clarence. He was an elderly black gentleman. Real tall guy, but he was hunched over. And Clarence was one of my best buddies down there. When, when Cla- Clarence was always there for the, about the first six months. And he would just, he would just, you know, he'd talk about this young generation, how lost they are. And he would always ask for a, a stack of my tracks so he could take with him. He'd tell me different places he goes and hands them out. And, and so we would just, I would just fellowship with Clarence. Sometimes I'd be there two hours, I'd just stop preaching and talk with Clarence. And he, I encouraged him, but he encouraged us just as much. And, and a real quick story about Clarence. So, so one day I was working on my job for FedEx, and I was training a young driver. And so we were up in the north part of Oklahoma City, and Clarence said that he would go up to the certain mall up there and witness to people. And so we were in the, we had a delivery in the mall, and, and I was thinking in my mind, I had this young driver with me, and I had talked with this guy a little bit, but we're just real busy, you know, and, and so I was wondering in my mind, I wonder if Clarence is in the mall today. So we made a delivery, and then we went to the food court in the middle of the mall, and there's Clarence. So I thought, ah, I got a strategy here. So I just went and set this young man down in front of Clarence, we had lunch with him, and he heard the gospel. And when Clarence talked, it was scripture. The scripture flowed out. And so he just bathed this young man in the gospel for about 30 minutes. And that may have been the last time I saw him. I didn't, you know, I think Clarence probably probably passed away. But that's just one of many, many examples. Another guy, real quickly, his name was Diego. And so uh, I met Diego in uh, downtown Oklahoma City one time. I was preaching to the Hebrew Israelites. And so a big crowd would gather. And, and my wife brought him over to me. And said, this, this guy wants to talk with you real quickly. And, and so Diego, who's a Hispanic brother, I could tell he was very sound. And, and so he said, I want to I do this. I want to learn how to do this. And so I just briefly shared with him for maybe 10 minutes just how I'd gotten started. Even showed him my little amp. He goes, yeah, what kind of amp is that? And so I showed him. And then we went our separate ways. And then a year later, Dexter, <laughs> we were at the uh, Oklahoma Pride Parade. 50,000 people there when I got the call down. I mean, there was just about, yeah, brother, you were there as well. And so we got there. We got there, and, and, and another guy who got there before me said, yeah, there's, there's already a guy out here preaching. And I, in my mind, I was thinking like um, just Pelagian, hateful preachers being at one of those events. Well, no, I walked over there, and I was like, that's Diego. That's the brother who came up to me a year ago. I forgot about this guy, and he was out there Faithfully, I got to sit and listen to him. Faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of a really, really hostile environment. And so I just, I looked at him and gave him the thumbs up, and he pointed down in his amp. (laughs) And so that's just one of many stories that God used. Um, Just brought one brother to another brother, and I was able to just encourage him a little bit. And and last I knew, Diego's like in, in another country as a missionary. So... Fifthly, uh, a fifth uh, benefit, it makes the scriptures come alive when you're on the streets. When you're proclaiming the gospel, it makes the scriptures come alive and reminds us of the depravity of man. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, a verse that I often quote that we often see on the, on the streets is 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the gospel is foolishness 
to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If you ever doubt the truth of that verse, just come stand while the gospel is being preached on the streets, and you will see that lived out. You will see this Christ that we preach being absolute foolishness to a lot of times the majority of the people. And so I ask them that. I challenge people in that. When I, when I can detect that it's foolish, I ask them the question, is this message foolish to you? And usually you get an arrogant, yeah, it is. And, and so I'm doing it for a reason. I'm trying to really penetrate the gospel to their heart. And, and I quote that verse, this message is foolishness to those who are perishing. And it literally means this message is foolishness to those who are headed for hell, trying to wake them up. That should tell you your spiritual condition. But it, but it demonstrates that. Because if we're just sitting in church, guys, and we're not going out to where people are, we can, we can, even if we know these doctrines, we can start thinking, well, the world, they don't really hate Jesus that bad. No, they do. They do. Jesus said the light of the world is, or the light is coming to the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. If you doubt that truth, go somebody and listen to them faithfully preach it. You can preach it in as loving tone as you know how, and, 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 and they hate the light. And many times they think you hate them, so you have to go out of your way to say, no, I love you. I love you. When we would go down and preach at the clubs, you know, you're, you, I mean, there's just hundreds of people standing there. That's one of the, that's one of the environments that I would just, I'd much rather stay at home. Because I know that once I open my mouth, I am a hated individual. But we would go out of our way to say, we are here because we love you. We love you. And you, so you can be as loving as you, as you want to be, but the message of Christ offends. It offends the proud man. And if you want to, I'll give you a quick illustration of that. If you want to know how bad the world hates this message, there's an individual in our church named Rocky Brown. Rocky Brown is maybe the sweetest brother I know. He's 57 years old. He has ALS. Uh, Lou Gehrig's, it's terminal. Um, you know, I don't know how long Rocky's got left, but he's getting weaker by the day, but he wants to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he started coming out with us a few months ago, and uh, we took him, the first place was to the um, Saturday morning. During that time of year, they would have a farmer's market in downtown Oklahoma City, and so it's a good place to just set up outside the edge of it and preach and evangelize. And, and so typically... Crowds weren't too, a lot, a lot of apathy, but, um, but not too, you know, not too rough. But even Rocky, he cannot speak, guys. He can't talk. So to proclaim the gospel, he has to have it through his phone, hooked up to a speaker. And so, so he and I, I help him with, you know, presenting long gospel presentations and scriptures. And so he just hits a button and it just proclaims it. Not, it's not his voice, but just a, just a voice. And Rocky's always got a smile on his face, sitting in his scooter. And still people would walk by and say, shut the bleep up with all kinds of profanity to my beloved brother Rocky. There's not a sweeter guy around. And it's not even coming out of his voice. And they still hate the message. But it's that very message that they need to hear. It's that very message that we all needed to hear. It's that very message that God saves Sinners, 
We have to communicate that message. And Rocky, we were talking about this. I believe in our church, our little bitty small church in Oklahoma City, that we may have the first man ever <laughs> with, the, uh, with the technology that we have now that they didn't have in the past. We may have the first man ever, I don't know, that didn't start open-air preaching until after he could not talk. So we, we take pride in that. Now, we, we tease Rocky about that. But, you know, he just loves to proclaim the gospel. We, we go out every Thursday, and Rocky looks forward to that day. He, he, was, he was really down that he was feeling ill um, the other day and couldn't come. But he is such a, such a beloved, and, and he uses him. God uses him. There's people at the bus station, they sit down right in front of him on the sidewalk and listen to him. It's really a beautiful picture. But he, but he uses Rocky. And, and so, it, it, you know, and I'm getting towards the end here, guys. It re, another benefit, it reminds people, if nothing else, if nothing else, the street preacher, because a lot of times people are just walking by in certain venues, and they may hear just a, a, a small portion of what you say, but if nothing else, it reminds people of the greatest reality in their life, and that is death is coming. Death is approaching. Men and women... They know that, but they suppress that truth. They don't want to think about it. Like Spurgeon said, men and women think more about their dogs and cats than they do about their souls. But if nothing else, we can remind them that, sir, you're going to die one day. Are you ready? It's going to be heaven or hell. You're going to stand before a holy God. And maybe just that thought will cause them to lay in bed at night. It will stir their conscience to begin contemplating their their soul. And so, and beloved, the heart of all of this, the heart of all of this, open-air preaching, but evangelism in general, it's our trust in the power of the gospel. And obviously the power of the Holy Spirit as well. That's why I would always encourage you, we always pray. If we know we're going to go out and preach, I, I, I just encourage our people and I would encourage you with that as well. Even if you know, sometimes you just get, a, you're going throughout your day and you have an opportunity to share the gospel, right? So take advantage of it. Pray afterwards. But be in prayer. Always accompany your evangelism with prayer. Bathe it in prayer. Bathe it in prayer. But all of this, it, the heart of all this is, is our trust in the power of the gospel. Two scriptures that have been dear to me over the years, really to... to, to, to uh, State this point as Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. What a promise from God. And, and that's in any setting, right? When his word goes forth, we know that God is at work uh, in the hearts of men that we can't see. Maybe he's saving sinners. Maybe he's saving sinners that we'll never know about. Maybe he's hardening them. We all, we all understand that all of this, guys, is for the glory of Christ, right? The main thing, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. It's all, it's all under the, the glory of Jesus Christ. That's our greatest desire. And so, but his word is going to succeed for which, the purpose for which he sent that. We don't always know that purpose. Maybe until after the fact. And then Romans 1.16 the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so we don't, we don't trust in gimmicks. We don't trust in um, 
you know, in tricks or trying to trick people or to manipulate people. We just trust in the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's really what's the heart of all of this. And so my last, my last um, benefit that I want to speak of is, um, and then I want to share just a few stories in closing as a way of encouragement for you guys, is this. I'm going to let Spurgeon state it. It's the most, probably the most obvious benefit when you think about outdoor preaching. He says, the great benefit of open-air preaching is that we get so many newcomers to hear the gospel who otherwise would never hear it. That's really the heart of it, right? We want to take this message to the people. We're not waiting on them to come to us. More than likely, they never will. So we take the message to the people. And so I want to share a few stories real quickly in closing that both illustrate this and illustrate the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to start... I want to start with a lady named Nancy. When I first started going to the bus station in downtown Oklahoma City, 2015, January of 2015, I think I went three times that week because the first time I went, I just couldn't believe it. I called Ronnie that day. You got to come. So he came with me the next day. And then I went a third time that week after I got off work because it's just so much, so different than any place I'd ever been. Usually it's just people walking by, giving you the middle finger. Yes, there's always people that would stop and listen at times, but it was just different here. So many people listening. And so that third time I was there, it was on a Friday afternoon, January, day much like today, gray and cold. There's always people at the bus station, but even on that day, there just wasn't as many people out. You can go in the terminal and wait as well. But. And so there wasn't as many people, but I just wanted to preach after I got off work. And so I was preaching. I'd been there maybe an hour or so. And I just noticed there was this lady standing in front of me about 20 feet, and I could tell she was deeply engaged in the gospel, just nodding her head. And so I turned my amp off and just asked her, I said, ma'am, do you have a question? And she said, yes, I have a question. She said, is there still hope for prostitutes? And, and I could tell immediately she was, she was referring to herself. She was in her 60s, I would guess. Uh, you could tell just really worn down from her. She said, I, she was a prostitute. She said, I've done this my whole life on the streets. And, but that was her question. Is there hope for prostitutes? And I said, absolutely. And so I, so I went over and, and just talked to her for probably 30 minutes. Uh, both of us were in tears as she's telling me her life. You know, down there, you hear so many hard stories of just people destroying their lives from sin, what sin does. And, and so I'm sharing the gospel with Nancy. We're both weeping, and I'm just challenging her. I'm not compromising. I'm challenging her, Nancy, you know, uh, just the demands of the gospel. And, and, and she said, she said I, oh, I, I so desire to give my life to Christ and to follow him. And, and she, she had this question, and and again, this is the first week I'm down there. It, this question kind of led me to, to try to have other sources to help any way I can, just with practical needs. She said, I so want to follow Christ, but what do I do for income? 
I didn't know what to tell her other than it's worth it. Just follow Christ. God will provide. But I thought, wow. I'm, I'm really blind to, the, to what people go through. You know, I see a lot of the same people that I saw even back then. A lot of new people, but I've never seen Nancy again. She asked me, are you going to start being down here? I said, yeah. And I, I never saw her again. But I, she gave me every indication that she was going to repent and come to Jesus Christ. But that's just one example that Nancy would never would have set foot in our church. She wasn't even at the bus station. She was on the other side of the street walking by, and she heard me. And she said, I heard you talking about God, and I had to ask you that question. She's just one of many. Have guys walk by. I remember one guy a couple years ago. Again, just people who seeing the power of the gospel right before your eyes and, and seeing these people, they're not going to come step, they're not going to come to a meeting like this. Obviously, unless God directs them. But having a guy walk by dressed out in all black with the pentagrams, self-professing devil worshiper, just every filthy word that could come out of his mouth and mockery and, and, and walk by a few times and then, and then just engaging him with the gospel. Again, it's not my word. It's God's word is the power. Engaging him with the gospel and just seeing and within a half an hour just seeing this man soften. And like, listen, I mean, I'm just like blown away. I can't believe this guy's listened to me. And no, God didn't convert him on the spot, but I saw God soften him. And this man shake my hand and, and thank me for sharing the gospel. Just countless stories. I just tried to think of a few to illustrate this point. That man's not coming in our, in our worship service. Drug pushers. I mean, they're down there. I'm actually friends with some of them now. Seeing, seeing Dominique, I was sharing with you guys last night. Dominique used to give me a hard time, and now he, you know, he always, I'll, I'll park, he'll go, Brady, how can I help you set up? And he's like the head drug pusher down there. And I'm like, well, you could repent and believe the gospel. But he, but he does. He's, he, in, a, in a sense, he's got a tender heart because he knows that at least I care about him. And so he'll, he'll defend me when somebody gets on me. He'll be like, you leave him alone. You let that man preach. Another guy, another guy, I haven't seen him down there in a year or so, but his name was Tony. He was another drug dealer. He would come up for months and, and get Bibles. He's real soft-spoken to me. He'd be like, yeah, Pastor, I'm giving these out to the homeless, giving these Bibles out. So I'd let him take three or four Bibles every time. Went on for several weeks. And then one lady told me, don't do that. He's using, he's rolling his joints. He's selling the Bibles for money. So don't do that. So I confronted him on it. He kind of got mad at me. <laughs> and then when all of the BLM stuff blew up a few years ago, he really, he kind of lost it on me one day. And so there were some big time tensions between he and I. I was just trying to be friendly to him, you know. I just said, hey man, I don't want you to come taking Bibles if that's what you're doing to him. And so he, he kind of kept his distance, but I just kept being friendly to him. And so one day I just put my arm around him. I said, Tony, I said, we good? I said, you know, I love you, man. I said, I just don't want you taking my Bibles if you're going to. And so he, he kind of softened back down to the point where it, I think it was last year, a little over a year ago, Ronnie and I were down there 
one Thursday for three hours on the dot, and I just remember this day because we, we got there, it was like two to five, we each preached 45 minutes, it's three hours, boom, just the gospel straight three hours. Tony was there the whole time with a few other guys, and Tony sat there the entire time on the bench listening to the gospel, even to the point where people walked by and he would jump on them, you're interrupting the service. The last time I preached that day, he asked me, and he, and he was serious. He was wanting to listen. The last time I preached, the second time I preached that day, he asked me before I was starting, he goes, Brady, do you have a, some paper and a pencil I can take notes? <laughs> Just amazing. I, don't, I, I, I haven't seen him but a few times after that. I know he did tell me he got a job. So, but I'm just praying that God has drawn him to himself. That just doesn't happen. And we didn't preach, hey, come to Christ and you can have your best life now and have more drugs. No, we preach in the truth. And he wants to hear it. And I remember that day, Dexter, the last time I preached was Ephesians 2. But God. And so, there was a guy, one of Tony's friends, another black guy, he just kept saying, but God. <laughs> but God. I remember getting in my car and he's still over there going, but God. But it's like, Tony, he hated my guts. But just to see him soften. Tony wasn't going to come to our church. But to see God soften him. A man from Illinois, about 10 or 12 years ago, we were in Bricktown. Just my wife and I. This was before the bus station. Preaching in front of the theater. Up on a bridge. They have a canal, like in San Antonio. So I'm just up on the bridge in front of the theater. place we used to preach for years. At that, at that point in time, I couldn't use an amp. And so, and it was a cold night, much, much like Spurgeon's story. People would have said, what's he doing, man? There's not even anybody out. It's cold. What are you doing? But I just wanted to preach the Word of God. And so I was preaching through Psalm 90. I just specifically remember that for about 30 minutes. And then a guy, all of a sudden, I see a guy talking to my wife. And I could tell it's a good conversation. And so when I finish, I go, I go stand with him and this guy, his, his testimony was he, is, he was in Oklahoma City on a business trip from Chicago. And he, and he worked on cell phone towers. And he was telling my wife, it's a very dangerous job, and I've been thinking about death. And I heard your husband mentioning God. I was walking along the canal, and so I had to come up. And this man gave us every indication. He, I mean, he, his words were, you know, we just talked with him. We gave him all the literature we had. His words were, I am going back to my hotel and crying out to God to save me. Again, it's a guy down from Chicago. But that God had preordained before the foundation of the world to be there on that night. Just be faithful. You know, that reminds me, that story reminds me of, of just being faithful. Just having a gospel track ready to give to somebody. Multiple times I can remember over the years of just being, you know, like on my lunch break and going in a convenience store and getting something to drink and just giving a guy a track at the fountain and having a guy go, man, I was just diagnosed with cancer and I'm going to read that track. Thank you so much. I had a lady tell me one time, I just came back from a funeral and the tracks we give out, it says, are you ready? And she said, I was thinking those very words. At my friend's funeral, am I ready? I said, well, go read that. Just be faithful, guys. Be faithful. And then just two real quickly, and I'm finished, guys. This is the story that's the most recent. 
This is the story where I just, please hear my heart. Um, this is not self-glory. This is, this is a gift from the Lord that I want to share with you. About a month ago, I got a call from a lady. I was working. It's a, it's a dear friend of ours. It's, uh, it's uh, Don, the, the, the brother I was telling you about this morning at our church, a soft-spoken Calvinist that said, if you're, you know, Bill, we just love Bill. Bill's almost 80 years old. So, so we went to church with Bill and Leslie, his wife, for eight years. And, so, and they were there when we started going to the bus station, very supportive. They would come out with us. And so they've kind of kept in touch. So Leslie left me a message on my phone one Friday. I was working about a month ago. And she said, brother, I just want to tell you. She said, you don't need to call me back. I just want to share this story with you. She said, I was down at the hospital, St. Anthony's Hospital, like a half a mile from the bus station. And uh, didn't tell me why they were there, but she said, I was talking to uh, this homeless man while we were waiting. And he, he went by the name of Pops, elderly black gentleman, Warren Brown. And, and, and she said, this man started telling me, obviously they were talking about the bus station. And, and this man started telling me that I know that guy down there, that, that ball-headed guy. He said, I've seen him down there. And, and he said, and Pops is a believer, and he, and he, I don't know if he's a member of this church downtown, but one of the churches downtown, it's a decent church um, where I used to send people. And, and so he, he, he was talking about he's involved in that church, and he said, I know of myself, of, of, of over 35 people, whose lives have been transformed through hearing that man preach. And I just broke down in It's a lot of plowing. And you don't hear stuff like that very often. And, to, and just to be reminded, I don't, I don't have to hear that story, stories like that to know that God's word is true. But what a love gift from God to, as an encouragement to keep going. You know, we're still waiting on them to start coming to our church. There's a bus 11 drives by our church. We've had a few come, but we planted our church in hopes to give these people a place to come and be discipled. But we're not in control of that. But even apart from that, God is at work. God is at work. And the very next night, this was Halloween weekend. That It was the Friday before Halloween. The very next night, Shiloh and I go out to Bricktown just around the ball field and about nine o'clock at night we're just preaching to because a lot of people were out walking the streets in their in their costumes it was very vile that night a lot of a lot of opposition but Shiloh and I were standing on a corner with another guy just preaching and just a, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the John 3 you know just demonstrated that they hate Christ a lot of, a lot of middle fingers a lot of profanity and here comes this elderly black guy and before he even said anything, he was a breath of fresh air. Amidst all the craziness, he just walks up and he's just grinning at me. You know, I don't want to be, I don't try to typically be too weird, but I could almost tell just by looking at him he was a Christian. The way he's smiling at me, he's just like, and his very first, this was a day after I got that voicemail. He looked at me, he goes, at least 35 people, brother. And I said, are you pops? He said, I'm pops. He said, I talked to your friend yesterday at the hospital. And I just, I just almost started weeping. And his words were, brother, you just keep preaching. You just keep preaching. You don't worry about what these people say. You just keep preaching. And he said it a couple times. He said, at least 35 people. And I was blown away. 
I had my amp, and I, Shiloh was talking to a guy. I was like, Shiloh, this is him. And it was just like, what's the chances? But it was just, a, it was like a boost. It was like a boost of just keep preaching the gospel. God is at work. And so how many, how many, these are just a, a, a few stories like that that I've heard over the years. Of just, that's just one man. We don't know what God's doing. We don't see the results. You know, every now and then I have a person walk clear across the bus station. It's a big parking lot from one end to the other. But when there's no buses there and you're preaching, they can hear me on the other side. And I've had people walk all the way across. Shiloh knows what I'm talking about. I've had people walk all the way across and say, man, I've been, I've been listening to you for a couple years. Can I have a Bible? Absolutely. And they'll say, we can hear you on the other side. I mean, just countless stories. We don't know, but we know God's word is powerful. And guys, in just one quick last story, and I'm done. Brother, I'm sorry if I was on long. But, but this, this may be the most encouraging story I've ever heard. That I've ever heard. This was years ago at the bus station, our first year there. I'm preaching, and my wife was with me that day. And so a lot of times the buses will pull up, and the bus drivers will get out and take a 15-minute break. They hear the gospel too. So one day, this little... This little short bus driver, I could tell he was from India. little short guy like that. And me, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, he's probably Hindu wanting to argue. Just I had to repent of that thought. And so he's talking to my wife, and I'm just going, okay, I'm ready for the argument. She motions me over. She goes, Brady, you've got to meet this guy. His name was Joshua. So, he grew, so Joshua, he shared, he shared a story with me. He starts crying immediately. He grew up in India, born in India, grew up in India. Um, and I, and I, believe, I believe before he was even born, his parents were Hindu. And his, his dad heard a street preacher in India preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching about a God who answers prayers, who's relational. And his dad went up and talked to this guy and was converted through that man. And then his mom was converted through that whole situation. And Joshua was born in a Christian home in India. And he's telling me this story. Brother, don't quit. Just weeping. He, the guy's like this tall. And he's just hugging me, bear hugging me. Don't ever stop. Don't ever stop. My parents were Christians because of a street preacher. And then there I saw him for probably six months. And man, he would park that bus and he may park it on the other side. He would come running across the parking lot and I could hear, brother, brother just with his arms wide open. Just a gift from the Lord. There's so many more stories, guys. But I just, but I just wanted to share that with you. To, you know, as your church specifically, that, that you're part of it. Your, your gifts allow this, the, the Bibles to go into homes and the tracts and the, the different booklets we give away. And so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I pray that whether, you, whether you're a... God ever calls you to stand on a box or anything like that. Be faithful where he has you. Okay, His gospel is power to save. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That is the main thing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for God just being reminded that, that you save sinners. Father, whether we ever see it or not, God, we know your word is true. That, that itself is enough. We trust the truth of your word. We love you. Father, we thank you, Lord, 
for saving us. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who does not know you, Lord, that they would call upon your name tonight, even now, that they would seek out somebody if they have questions. They repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen.